1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
0: On this episode, mathematics,
2: the language of our creator. As long as languages have been around, there's been an understanding that there's been mathematics attached to them. And even when we look at any sort of letter in any sort of language, what you're looking at is a geometric form, period.
0: Hey there, I'm hard at work on another edition of Inner Sanctum, my free monthly newsletter. Inner Sanctum features my monthly brief, a column of my thoughts and opinions on what's happening in the world. It features a spotlight on a past guest, a look ahead to an upcoming episode of my weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show. It features a look at this month in conspiracy and UFO history and my Conspiracy Unlimited podcast, episode pick of the month, and so much more. To get your free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, delivered to your email inbox. Just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. Scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on Inner Sanctum and register. It's fast, easy, and again, absolutely free.
1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres, Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption. The secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett.
0: Welcome to your Friday, and welcome to episode 500 of Conspiracy Unlimited. I think that's kind of a significant milestone. 500 episodes as Conspiracy Unlimited enters its fourth year. And thank you for all your support and your ears. I thought about firing off a confetti cannon to celebrate, but it's a little cramped in here in my little studio beneath the stairs. So 500, that's a good number. The next 45 minutes or so is all about numbers and numerology, I don't know about you but I'm constantly followed by certain numbers. Uh, I'll give you an example, 1010. 10. Uh, I I think I've mentioned this on the air before. The mighty Aphrodite and I met at another radio station with the frequency 1010. 10. And then my twin boys were born on October 10th, that's 1010. 10. The first was born at 10 minutes past 10 in the morning, another 1010, 10. and I'll often look Over at a clock. Has this happened to you? You look at a clock and it always it's the same number? For me, ten ten. Whenever I look over at the clock, it's ten ten. Anyway, I I believe that, that numbers have a certain power or energy. And I believe, like my next guest, that the language of the universe and its creator is numbers. And here's what my guest has written about the importance of numbers. Numerology, the study of the occult significance of numbers, is a science, much like astrology. That is completely dismissed by contemporary corporeal science, corporeal science. Numerology lies at the heart of gematria. And in the opinion of my next guest... Without understanding numerology, one cannot possibly intuit the beauty and utter simplicity of mathematics. Mathematics is not merely quantitative, but qualitative as well. Numbers are not cold, dead, dry, arbitrary accidents of cosmic chaos, but the language and lifeblood of the creative force behind creation. Numbers, as understood by the Greek and Egyptians, are cosmological principles whose essence plays out and are revealed to us in the material world. Numbers contain within them an inherent message. Each number has a story to tell, and each of these stories pertain to the magnificence of the creation of our cosmos. But no matter how many stories are told, no matter how many infinite numbers unfold to weave the manifested matrix of all material creation, all divisions will ultimately lead back to the one philosophy that lies behind every true science and spirituality that has graced this blessed earth, and that is the incontrovertible fact that That all is one. Those are the words of Marty Leeds, the author of three books, Pi and the English Alphabet, Volume one, Volume Two, and The Peacock's Tales, the Alchemical Writings of Claudia Pavanos, his third book in the series Pi and the English Alphabet Volume three, and he has an ongoing lecturing series available, lecture series available for free on YouTube. We'll tell you about that lead later. He's the host of the podcast, the Marty Leeds Mathematical Radio Hour, discussing everything from myth, math, spirituality, philosophy, Sacred geometry, lost civilizations, and the holy sciences. Marty Leeds, how are you? Good. How are you? Very well, thank you. I got to ask you about the 33 that you use at the end of your name, and for example, in in your YouTube series, and I believe on your email as well. The significance of 33. I mean, that's a a number familiar many of us. uh, We we talk about uh, the Freemasons and so forth. Why
2: 33? uh well for me it was just the the year that i started doing all of this stuff basically i think my book came out when i was 32 33 and so i have an affinity towards the number because of that but i mean the number of 33 is when you get into the philosophical exploration of numbers you find that the number of 33 especially like rep digits like 33 or 333 111 these sorts of numbers will come up again and again and they're kind of like, you know, what I call them is like vertices in the archetypal architecture of creation. They allow you to sort of navigate your way through and start to understand um, the grand architect's architecture. So um, that's kind of the best way I can explain 33.
0: Well, there there are a number of sort of systems uh, when we're talking about numerology. In the West, I guess, we we, we sort of follow the, the, the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, and Pythagoras. The Pythagorean, is it called the Pythagorean Screed, where each letter
2: Is given a number, A is 1, B is 2, C is 3. Is that, is that how it works? Yeah, it's been given a bunch of different names. Like in English, it's known as English gematria or gematria. It's known as Kabbalism. Um, you know, in in some circles, it's basically just known as numerology. But um, yeah, so it's like many different cultures have had this sort of mathematical foundation behind languages, and there's something something very mysterious and mystical going on with the relationship that numbers have with letters in all of these different languages.
0: Well, let's explore that uh, this relationship with with numbers and and letters. I mean, what possessed mm-hmm. someone like Pythagoras, for example,
2: to assign a number to a letter well we're not even sure if he did or not actually i just had a a conversation this morning uh it was a guest on 42 minutes and we were and we were covering pythagoras and one of the things that we covered was the fact that we don't even know you know there's there's question whether he was even a real man or not you know because there's all of this sort of lore and legends and things that are sort of grafted onto the stories of pythagoras you know albeit like he was a he uh, is you know he was born from an immaculate conception he was considered a sun god he had you know all of these sorts of things so um you know if there was a man named pythagoras um you know and then we look at us okay, well why why would he be compelled to do this and i think the answer to that is that this is this, this art, this, the scientific art is what we could call Gematria or Kabbalah has a long history. And we could say that pretty much, you know, it's probably survived prehistory. And as long as languages have been around, there's been an understanding that there's been mathematics attached to them. And even when we look at any sort of letter in any sort of language, what you're looking at is a geometric form, period. There's no question there. Every, every single, you know, a letter that you see in, whether that's acrylic or Arabic or, you know, Aramaic or Latin or Greek or Hebrew or. In, even into English, we see that these are formed with simple geometry, with simple strokes, arcs, and lines. And so right then and there, before we even get into the um, how mathematics or numbers themselves have a relation to, to particular letters, you see that the symbols in and of themselves are created through geometry. And then we can get into the, the mathematical language that is geometry, according to Right. you know some intellectual heavyweights of you know history
0: well you 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 um, you have a great quote here from Galileo um, who says the universe cannot be read until we have learnt the language and become familiar with the characters in which it is written it is written in mathematical language and the letters are triangles circles and other geometrical figures which means it is humanly impossible to comprehend or sorry without which means it is humanly impossible to comprehend a single a word well this would tend to suggest then that that uh, you know there's a great deal of thought in in uh, when when these you know, letters were devised in order to give them what, a, a sort of a hidden meaning or a, a,
2: a, a, an encryption. Yes, and that really gets to the question of, um, you know, how our languages created, of which we don't really have an answer for. Many people assume that as I've, I've heard this a lot, especially with English, that it's sort of this like. Um, you know, cobbled together cowboy language or something like that, you know, that has just evolved throughout time with no sort of, um, intention or meaning behind it. And I mean, I would completely disagree with that. But we really don't know how languages are formed. Like, we don't know who created the, you know, the Greek alphabet. We don't know who created Latin, you know, and we, you know, English is, is kind of late in the game. It's 1500s, 1600s when we talk about the modern English alphabet. So we don't know who created that as well. Um, the thing that I, I try to do with the, the, the work that I'm engaged in is, is sort of look back and say, okay, since we don't, since we can prove that we don't know who created the alphabet, maybe we can go into the alphabet and see what it has to offer us, and see if there is a pattern, an organization, a structure, a hidden meaning within that. And that's the work that I'm engaged in. What I tried to do, we already know for a fact, with it's unquestionable that Latin, uh, Greek, and Hebrew. You know, Arabic, all of these other languages for sure had a mathematics behind them. So it would just, you know, through logic and reason, it just it lent me into the study of, hey, let's see if we can find some structure in English.
0: All right. Give us a crash
2: course. You call it the crux of numerology, Marty. Um, The crux of numerology, you could you could really kind of hone it down to one principle being decimal. It's called decimal parity. It's got a bunch of different names. Decimal parity, digital rooting, Kabbalistic reduction, Pythagorean addition, and basically what it is, and a lot of people are, are kind of hip to this, um, more so than maybe in the last like 30 years, but of basically breaking any number down to the numbers one through nine, with zero being a placeholder, and we'll get into this, but for instance, when you just walk up your number line, zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, any number after 9, you can break down to these digits 1 through 9. So we get to 10. We can just reduce this down. 1 plus 0 is 1. 11, 1 plus 1 is 2. 12, 1 plus 2 is 3. You add in fun item, of course. So it doesn't really matter what number you look at, how complex or large the number is. Ultimately, by reducing down or using simple arithmetic, bringing these numbers together, we get to what we find is the qualitative aspect of the number. So um, and this is what's considered the the crux of numerology. Now, why, why this ends up being like really important is that there's a deep philosophy here that we can actually find on your two hands, but also found within the um, the expression of the the holy number 10. Um, the Pythagorean detractors talked about the number 10. Of course, there's 10 commandments and you have, you know, 10 fingers on your hand. So when we use this numerological principle of digital rooting, what it does is breaks down the decimal system of zero being the placeholder or, um, you know, magnifier or, you know, symbol of power, if you will, because it's a magnifier of 10. You have zero. One two three four five six seven eight nine, and that gives you ten digits. So this is basically the the base the base of numerology, and this is a, a core function in just how the mathematics work in and of themselves. A lot of times numerology is, is sort of like blown off because of, well, there's been a lot of perversion of people that have, you know, misinterpreted or misused numerology for their own means and ends and things. But really, when you look at numerology, this is something that's innate and inherent in the mathematics. And I think this is something that was widely understood by all of the great mathematicians of, of uh, throughout history. And in fact, you're not really even doing true mathematics, true quantitative and qualitative mathematics, unless you bring in the study of numerology. And this really isn't that controversial considering the word numerology means, numer means number, and ology means, comes from the word, of course, uh, logos, which is word of God, or, and where we get the word logic. And so numerology, the word is just saying that there's a number logic, or logic to numbers. Well, of course there is, because this is where logic is actually derived. You
0: mentioned the word of God, and uh, going back to the Old Testament, and the book of numbers, which, if you read it, is a very kind of peculiar, uh, a book. You know, there's a lot of detail and information there and and uh, measurements and and um, you know the weight of things and the number of things as the, the name of the book implies and and mm-hmm. one could walk away from that book saying well what the heck was that all about what what do you
2: make of the book of numbers i the same that i make of the whole book you know ultimately you're looking at a a, a deeply mystical deeply symbolic mathematical treaty or text. That's ultimately what you're looking at. I mean, of course, the Bible has, just like all of these ancient holy books, in my opinion, but has... Um, let me explain it this way: the, the the story the stories in the Bible are the central hub in the wheel, if you will. So we have the story that we're all focused on, and then in that story, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of narratives that are going on, and all of those narratives become the spokes of the wheel, if you will. So one of those spokes is an astrotheological spoke, one is a philosophical, one is a psychological, one is a sacred geometric, one is a numeric, et cetera, et cetera. And so the whole book to me is written that way. Now, ultimately, what, what you know—the claim that I'm making—but which is once again really not that controversial, since we know it happens in this other language, in all these other languages—that there's a mathematical foundation in, throughout that book, and to truly understand what's the, the message that's being purveyed. You have to go and understand the mathematics first, and so this is why a lot of these stories end up being extremely cryptic and really trying to. It's hard to really get your hands around because really what they're doing is hiding this deep esoteric holy science. Really is what it is beneath those words, you know. And this is of course where we get read between the lines because you have to read between the story that's beneath the story.
0: Uh, and, and do you subscribe to the uh, the idea that, that there are Bible codes that there are? Yeah, within the passages of not only Numbers, but the five books of, of the Torah, that there are
2: encrypted messages, perhaps placed there by the Creator himself. Well, when, you know, when we talk about, um, you know, the Creator itself, really what you're talking about when, when you hear of the lore or legend that books were written by, you know, the God himself or the gods themselves, really what you're talking about is people that have elevated themselves up to the status of apotheosis or people that had had Gnostic revelations. People that were connected so deeply to spirit that they were sort of allowing these things to kind of flow out of them, if you will. That's the, that's the best way that I can make sense of that. And so this, that's exactly what I think the books are, are basically these, the, you know, that there's hidden codes beneath there. And, you know, once again, without elevating yourself as the book is intended to do, without elevating yourself to the, you know, to, to receive a Gnostic revelation, to have that mystical spirit, you're not really going to understand the deeper messages Within, And we actually see this problem happening right now with the fact of the literalism that's taken with, you know, all of these different religions, that we take these stories literally and then, you know, the the horrors that manifest from these things, you know, and this is an enormous problem. So
0: So, uh, let's sort of connect the numbers with uh, the alphabet or or certain words. Um, So if a word, it has a, a numerical value as well. What is what is the the power or the purpose of that? Uh, I mean, maybe you can give us an example uh, of a um, a word. Give us the numerical value, and then we can sort of explore that.
2: Um, yes. Well, we can look at. Maybe we could look at. I don't. I don't know how much time we have, but maybe we could look at one very particular thing in in the Bible in pointing to the number twenty six. Um, in. In the Hebraic, the Hebraic tetragrammaton, which is, this is known as Yahweh or Jehovah or God, right? Right. Well, in Hebrew, this sums to, well, it's Hevav, He Yad, it's 5, 6, 5, 10. This sums to 26. Of course, there's 26 letters of our English alphabet. Now, the, um, the, the, the two names of God that's given to us in the Holy Bible are Lord and God. Well, Lord is L-O-R-D, this is 2254, this equals 13, and God is G-O-D, is 724, this equals 13. And so combining the two names of God that are given to us in the Holy Bible, in the English translation of the Holy Bible, we find Lord God equaling 26. Well, this is the name of Jehovah that we have in the Hebraic Tetragrammaton, right? Right. Well, right what what's really so we have 26 letters in the English alphabet tetragrammaton equals 26 lord god equals 26 so what's what's important about 26 well what is god god is of course father time right father is the father the name father is god so basically all of time everything that in is in creation is god that would make sense of the omnipotent omniscient and omnipresence of god because god is interpenetrating with all things through all things this is where monotheism comes in. Monotheism is actually oneness and theos, of course, well, theology, the study of God. So the oneness of the study of God. When we see this number 26, we actually find it in Saturn. Saturn is S-A-T-U-R-N. This is six five one, and this equals 26. Well, Saturn is actually known as father time, right? Right, so this right. is where chronos is Greece, where we get words like chronology and and you know synchronize things like that. So we have this planet that's attributed to time, and it equals twenty six as well, right? So we have all these numbers coming together, and to see you know uh, you know that all point to this one singular number twenty six. Well, Scorpio in this cipher, Scorpio equals 26. Scorpio actually points to the center of our galaxy. Its tail in the constellation actually points to the center of our galaxy. So really what you have is this recognition that within one simple number, you can sort of tie all of these things together about what the, the deeper meaning of what they mean with why Saturn is time, what, you know, what, what God really is, where to find God is by heading through the, you know, heading to the center, center in and of itself. The word center in and of itself equals 26. So, to, to, uh, there, the, the story comes from the numbers first, because the numbers are homogenous; they're universal in nature, right? A- every culture ever, every that's ever existed on this planet uses the same number system. Now they may, you know, track time differently, like the Mayans track t- time differently than the Egyptians, but ultimately they're using the same numbers, they're s- using the same ratios, they're using the same mathematical constants when they build their cathedrals, temples, and things like that. So. The number 26 is something that's inherent within creation that's going to transcend all of these different cultures, and we can see that it points to, you know, once again, God. Now, the 26 letters of our English alphabet, alphabet comes from the AB, which is Latin for father. So Ah, we have the tetragrammaton referring to father, right? Right, referring to you know Father Time, et cetera, et cetera. So that's just kind of one way to explain the importance of like a number twenty six.
0: That is uh, that's fascinating. But uh, while you were talking about the number twenty six, um, I my mind went to another number which was twenty three, and I was remembering that Jim Carrey movie, The Number Twenty Three, came out. I, I don't just know, watched it seven again. or eight years ago. A kind of a psychological thriller and and uh, for those who haven't seen it it's about you know his obsession with the, the 23 enigma and I mean is is that f- a work of fiction or is there an esoteric belief uh, in, in all these permutations of the number 23
2: No, that's, see, once again, this is something that is inherent in the mathematics, again. Like, the, the, the number 23 is actually, um, you, we can actually find this within the, the construction of the human temple and the human being. So, when a man and woman come together, they each share 23 chromosomes, making 46 chromosomes to make the temple, the human, you know, the vessel for the spirit to exist in. And that's created using chromosomes. Chroma means color, of course. And soma is of the body. And so, of course, where do we get color? We get it from light. It's the light of the body. That's what a human being is. So when we look at the number 23, we see that the, the construction of the, the, the temple, you know, as, as as Bill Donahue said, that God dwells in a temple not made by the hands of man. And the only temple not made by the hands of man is the ones on the side of your foreheads. The word temple actually equals 23. Aha! This... So this number 23 is directly referring to the human being and the construction of the human being. Now, the, the number 23, you know, circle, heaven, temple, beauty, occult, natural, all of these words equal, you know, 23. And so we see a direct connection to the number of chromosomes and um, this number of heaven. You know, so we we can actually see that, you know, there, that there's when when, you know, we hear of religious traditions say, well, the kingdom of heaven resides in you, and you understand that mathematically that's, Absolutely true. Then you start to realize that there's something much more deeper than going on than relegating heaven to a place up in the ha- you know in the stars that is unreachable by the hand of man until after you die. No, it's something that's within every single human being. No, I don't know, sense
0: you, you. You threw something out there that's. Uh, uh, I'd love to. You know. Delve into. I don't know if we have time. <laughs> it would, you know, it took uh, thousands of years, for example. You know, to, to, to write the Bible. Do we have time to talk about the idea that mathematically you you can you can prove that heaven resides within us? Can we explore that a little bit, or would that take?
2: Well, just kind of like what, you know, what we were just saying about, you know, when we look at the, the, the numbers first, when we realize that, math, you know, as Galileo said, that mathematics is a language of creation and that the – and so in order to really understand the creator – And his creation, we have to go to the language in which it used to create things. So, therefore, once again, the number twenty-three, especially in, uh, you know, especially in English gematria, of course. But this number twenty-three is something that's um, inherent within the human being and the makeup of the human being. So, therefore, that number in and of itself has a certain importance. what, if if we look at the philosophy behind this this kind of gets away from the numbers a little bit but when we look at the philosophy of the kingdom of heaven resides in you right or um on earth as it is in heaven right, right. um that which is in the stars is also on the earth that which is on the earth is also in the stars there's a there's a there's an Australian elder, uh, aboriginal, that said everything under creation is represented in the soil and in the stars. Everything has two witnesses, one on earth and one in the sky. Everything is represented in the ground and in the sky. Basically, all of these philosophies that are, that are shared all over the world are basically saying that everything that's up in the heavens is a perception of what's created in the human vessel. If you will, so this is a hologram. It's a it's an illusion. It's a perception. It's a matrix. It's, it's a simulation. It's it's um, well Maya in Hindu means illusion. The Mayan people it means illusion that this material world is an illusion and it's a reflection of the heavens. So when we look out and we cast heaven upon the, the stars and into the stars, really what we're doing. By looking out, is actually simultaneously looking in, and this is what this philosophy sort of encapsulates, and and all of these religions encapsulate this philosophy, you know. And we can find this, and so the idea of that, where, where does heaven exist? Is it out there or is it within us? Well, if we come to understand that that creation is actually built with the the, the reflection or perception. Of man, then we realize that no, heaven is everywhere around us. That heaven and earth are unified. They're one. They're, 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 without one, you can't have the other, if you will. If you know what I'm saying. How did you get into this, Marty? How did you become so fascinated with with numbers? Um, just, just kind of pursuing an answer over the years. You know, just kind of feeling lost in the world. (laughs) And, you know, I've seen a lot of the turmoil and strife and and pain and things like that in the world and then trying to make sense of the world around me. And then letting that investigation lead me and not my own wacky theories or whatever lead the investigation. And if you do, you know, if you undergo this investigation, you go with an open heart, uh, you know, a noble spirit or whatever, and you go with you know, earnestly looking for a truth, then that's going to lead you wherever you need to go. And, of course, anyone that really does this is going to end up leading to mathematics because, once again, as we were saying, you know... There, you know, there is a creator being creative with creation and he's building this creation using this mathematical language. And so ultimately, if you're looking for that truth, you're going to be led there, you know.
0: Now, I struggled with math all through my um, educational career um, Mm -hmm. and continued, you know, anything after long division, forget it. Did this give you? Uh, we, I mean, were you strong in math before, or did it give you a new appreciation for math? Did you find yourself going back and sort of revisiting algebra and things like that and trying to figure out, you know, how uh, this might all connect?
2: No, I was terrible at math, man. <laughs> I Seriously, I, I, was, I was never good at math. In fact, I think I got a C in college algebra. And how about now? And... And so and now I would even say that I'm not I mean, you know, I say this and this guy kind of gets a, the roll of the eyes with a lot of people. But like, I don't even consider myself a mathematician now in one way. Um, I, I just kind of, you know, just explored the subject. And I when I explored it, I got to I went to the fundamentals like I went to I basically started learning it all over again. Like, I remember, uh, you know, I wrote in my journal, I was writing out multiplication tables. I was writing out tables of addition, you know, I was I'm like... I'm doing that right now
0: with my kids.
2: Yeah. Listen, and we got to take a... Sorry, Marty, we got to oh, take sorry, a break. Man. When we come back, we'll... Uh, you know, maybe, maybe we're teaching
0: math all wrong. Uh, we'll get into that. And I also want to find out what is going on with pi. Think about this. To date, computers have calculated over 10 trillion digits of pi. One of the most important numbers in mathematics. What does it mean? We'll get into that with Marty Leeds right here. Stay with us. C60 EVO's Miracle Molecule ESS60 makes a great gift for conscious people and their pets. Why not give the gift of radiant health to everyone on your list this Christmas? ESS60, the powerful antioxidant, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory in a bottle. ESS60 is the purest form of C60 available anywhere from C60 Evo. Benefits include increased strength, flexibility, immunity, and better sleep. Check out the great gift sets now available at special holiday discount prices. C60Evo.com slash Richard hyphen C60Evo.com slash Richard hyphen Take 15% off your order with the coupon code JOLLY15RS. That's JOLLY15RS. R.S.
1: If there's one thing money can't buy, it's sanity. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
0: Marty Leeds is with us. I want to talk about Pi here in a minute, Marty, but I want to ask you that question again about the way we teach mathematics in school. I mean, do you think perhaps we're teaching math the children all wrong, and is is that perhaps by design?
2: Yes, I mean especially with Common Core now, which is just horrific. It's just the, I mean, there's there's a gazillion ways that you can teach somebody math better than what they're doing right now. That's, I mean, that's for sure. Um, the, the one thing that that I always talk about with this, the the understanding that I've come to with this subject is that. We teach uh, even in the university setting, basically, we teach one way of looking at mathematics, and that 's a quantitative way of looking at mathematics but that 's only one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is the qualitative way and um so I, I think the fact that we've we, you know we 've reduced once again numerology to like a pseudoscience or it 's considered recreational math, I think what we 've done is sort of like cut off half of our understanding of this, of, of mathematics. Now, it's really interesting that how many people have, I've talked to, you know, spoken to on podcasts and things like that, that have said that every time that they, you know, in school or whatever, they, they couldn't stand math. They were terrible at it. They just couldn't wrap their head around it. And yet, when you teach a lot of this, these mathematical principles in, in a, a different way by looking at the symbolism, looking at the geometry, um, you know, understanding basic mathematical constants in creation, people start to get it a lot easier. And one of, what I would say one of the, the, the easiest and most like um, expedient ways to teach somebody math is actually through sacred geometry, and this is understanding ba- once again basic, fundamental, philosophical, scientific, quantitative and qualitative principles using basic, you know, n- number and basic symbols and shapes. And so, um, what, what I do with with what I teach is I barely go past arithmetic, really. You know, I square root some things, I cube some things, a little algebra here and there, but besides basically add, add, you know, add subtract, multiply, multiply, and divide, excuse me, um, besides those basic, you know, arithmetic principles, I don't really go beyond that. And I think that you can learn a whole lot just from that study in and of itself.
0: Let's talk about pi. It's, uh, it's an irrational, infinite, transcendental number, which means what?
2: Everything <laughs> <laughs> to answer succinctly. Um, yeah, I mean, pi to me, how how I've come to understand it anyway is that pi is a representation of the creation of our universe in one way, and that that's this is what this is what pi represents in that in its geometry, in its unfolding nature, in its infinite nature, the fact that we can't see its tail, the fact that it starts with the the, the holy three, the holy trinity that we find in you know all of these different religions, and 3. we can 14, find in, 3.14. In, Right. Exactly right. Yeah, right. So three point one four one five nine, et cetera, et cetera, starts with that holy three before the decimal place, and that, of course, once again, we could go all over the world and 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 find um, a glorification and exaltation of the three. We can look at it in the Trinitarian, the Triskel, the Fleur de Lis, the Holy Trinity of the Judeo Christian or Christian canon. Of course, we can look at it in you know Shiva Brahman and Vishnu in Hinduism. We can look at it as Isis, Osiris, Horus in Egypt. And so we have all of these. This is past, present, and future. This is the, the the preservation force, the destructive force, and the and the you know creation force all merging into one. This is the three sides of a triangle becoming one. So pi, you know, to get back to your question, pi is sort of like this symbolic representation of all of these different principles that at our, that are at work and in our universe and sort of encapsulate encapsulates them into one. What what I what I try to you know, explore with pi at least in the last book, and you know, I hinted on it in this this next book that I'm working on. Is that pi is a representation of the creation of our universe, and that just by simple geometry, you can kind of understand the, the beginnings of how our universe was formed, and kind of what what unfolded geometrically after that.
0: Are there? If you will, are there? I mean, you mentioned that that pi has been encoded in temples all through e- Egypt and and uh, the Great Pyramids of, of Giza. Uh, we've talked about that before on the show but are there mm-hmm. words uh, that that contain that the, the numbers 3.14 uh, is there a you know a letter representation
2: uh, I don't know does it does it equate with vibrations um, Well there is I mean there's a couple different places we could go here I mean there is for instance um, pawn pawn, which, a pawn in a chess is P-A-W-N. This is 3141. One. So, in the game of chess, which is something I've covered in the second volume, and I've got a couple of videos on it, but in the game of chess, there's, there's two lunar, a solar, and a processional calendars, as well as multiple ways of obtaining pi. Through the, the simple, um, arrangement of the numbers that are attached to the characters of the game of chess. And so, for instance, like I was just saying, pawn is 3141, one, so we can see that the pawn is the most prevalent piece of the game, and yet it's saying pi, 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 pi. There's 16 pawns, of course, to a chessboard. So, that's one example of, 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 you know, what you're saying. I,
0: I want to talk about vibration. And, uh, if, if that's what Galileo was talking about, mathematics, You know, God using mathematics or God using vibration to
2: create the universe. Yeah, and this actually, this leads to pi. At least it it led me to pi anyway. Um, when you look at a lot of the creation stories have the idea that, um, God emitted a sound, spoke a word, and therefore spoke it into creation. Um, number one, we have the, the, you know, the modern science of somatics, where it's basically understanding that geometric forms can arise from, from sound. Uh you know, and we see this, um, we can see this at certain frequencies or certain hertz that, you know, certain forms will arise and they're often, you know, symmetrical and that sort of thing.
0: You can also destroy with vibration. We've seen, you know, glass. Uh, the, if you can find the resonant frequency and so forth.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, you know, and and the creative force and destructive force are two poles on one ultimate movement. You know, so um, of course, vibration can create just like there's dissonance and harmony in music. Of course, so um, when we look at when we look at all these like different creation stories, like there's the Mayan story that it's, um, you know, it's it's something to the effect. I'm paraphrasing here, but it's something to the effect of the word of the one was unloosed enlo- itself and. Stone-like silence and and shuttered all of eternity, something like that. So you have this word that was spoken. In Hinduism, you have this, you know, the vibratory essence that created all of creation being the Om, that sound. Uh, in the in of course in the the Holy Bible, you have God saying, "Let there be light." So God speaking light. In Latin, um, gramma means uh, letter, and Gamma means light. So you have the idea that the letters, of course, that are forming, they're forming words. Are also of light, Mm. so that you know it's a really close correlation, of course, to what we see in the Bible. So, you know, so you know, what does all this stuff have to do with pi? Well, when we talk about a word of God, we have to ask the question: like, what language does God speak? What language is God speaking? Well, once again, according to guys like Kepler, who said, you know, uh, geometry existed before the creation; it is co-eternal with the mind of God. Galileo saying language, you know, mathematics is language of God then we have to say okay if god spoke a word then god spoke a word that word is a, is a mathematical word it's it's a word within the language of mathematics now of course w- you know what i'm basically saying is that word is pi and that word is that's what pi represents that the pi is actually the the, the the lost word of masonry in one way hmm. you know we we hear about the you know Here in Mabeth and the lost Masonic word. Well, that lost word is, of course, the word of pi. And that we will see the geometry of pi, the numbers of pi, the, the elements attributed to pi, the, you know, all of that stuff play out in all of these different ways in creation. We can find it in chess. We can find we can see pi as a mathematical representation of the symmetrical nature of your body. These sorts of things, and so that's ultimately what I believe they're saying when we talk about a word, because we have to go into the language of math to understand that word of God. If
0: we were to ever, uh, I guess, solve pi, in other words, you know, uh, find the the pattern, it goes on for tw- ten is it ten trillion digits after the decimal point, and they still haven't found the pattern. If we, if and when we were to discover the pattern, would that be, sort—I of, don't know—the the the, uh, the unified theory or whatever that that Einstein was looking for? I mean, is 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 that is pi is then the, the the key to the universe? Understanding the universe?
2: You know, it's 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 one. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's one of the the major cornerstones of of understanding the universe because once again, you're understanding the, the what do I want to say, the mathematical matrix or template that the, the universe created to create everything. And so everything sort of moves through these templates of these major major mathematical ideas like phi and pi, Euler's formula, things like this, pi being, of course, one of the most important ones. Now, when you said we're looking for a pattern in the universe, right? like pie if we're looking for a pie or we're looking for a pattern in pie well pattern comes from the latin word pater and pater means father so <laughs> so when Amazing. we say we're looking for yeah we're looking for a pattern we're looking for the father well of course Once we take the literalism out of it, we don't, we realize that we're not talking about some male figure that's in the sky that's looking down upon us and judging us and things like that. What we're talking about is the pattern which creates the geometry of creation. So our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name and thy kingdom come. Our father is our patterns, the patterns of the sky that came down to earth. Our patterns, our pattern, our father, our patterns who art in heaven. What is art? Art is a creative force. And that is why there's a creator being creative with creation. That's why creativity is at the heart of creation.
0: You're making me go aha a lot. Was there an aha moment for you when this all started to add up? No pun intended.
2: Yeah, it, it happened with Pi. It was you know I, I mean I you know I don't ask anybody to believe me when I say this. I don't really care if anyone <laughs> believes me if I say this. But I had this sort of mystical moment, this gnostic revelation or epiphany about pi one night and that is what, and I had been working with it for, you know, I don't know how, you know, maybe six or nine months or something like that at at that point. But, you know, that I had this revelation with it. And ever since then, it's, it's, Put me on this course of you know writing the books and doing the lectures and you know all the, everything that I'm doing. So and ever since then there's been all of these sort of aha moments. In fact, all the aha moments have culminated into the books and culminated into you know the videos and that sort of thing.
0: You mentioned uh, uh, you mentioned the Freemasons uh, and you also mentioned geometry, and I'm and I'm thinking about the the, the symbol we've all seen on many uh, Masonic buildings and that's the capital G, which is Sort of nestled in between a compass and a square. What is the significance of that?
2: Um, that's, that symbol, I actually did an entire video on just on that symbol alone. Um, and it's like, I think it's like half hour or something like 40 minutes maybe. But there's, there's just myriad things that we can draw just from that symbol alone. One of them being the, um, the symbolic elements to help us deconstruct or de, you know, decode the mathematics of the English alphabet to find the cipher to be able to decode. The mathematics of our alphabet. So that's one of the things. And, um, one of the ways we, we don't really have time to go through over it here, but, you know, just to kind of, you know, go through this kind of quick. When the, the compass creates a circle and the, the square creates a square, of course. So the compass and square merging together are the, the, the merging of the squaring of uh, the square and the circle. In sacred geometrical canon, the circle was known as heaven, square was known as earth. And these were given the distinctions, uh, numeric distinctions of three and four. So when we add three and four together, the merging of the square and the circle, the merging of the heaven and the earth, what we find is seven. Three plus four is seven. G, of course, being the seventh letter of our alphabet. And so the, you know, the, the cipher for the gematria for, of our English alphabet is encoded within that symbol. And, the, and of course, the only way that you're going to understand that is if you understand, deeply understand, and have investigated deeply the, the study of symbolism and understand what the three and four is. And of course, when we look at symbolism, once again, that we started this conversation with, we're looking at the letters of our alphabet. We look at symbolism. Ultimately, what we're talking about is geometry. And that's why the, you know, the Freemasons revere, um, geometry so much, you know.
0: What did Tesla mean, uh, uh when he said, you know, sort of behold the power of threes, sixes, and nines. If we can appreciate or understand the power of three,
2: sixes, and nines, it, it, you know it's a key to understanding the universe. Uh, what, what he was understanding is that when, when there, that there's um, how do we want to say this? That, that there's a. Um, a way to penetrate mathematics, and it's and it's through simple numbers, you know. So three, six, and nine. When we look at the the, the canon of sacred geometry, when we look at number symbolism, they become really important. Um, three, of course, we just talked about. Six, three is a divide You know, six is has a three as its divisor. Three is also divisor of nine. We can go into all of that. But one of the things that's important about what he's saying there is that we. I, I think that we tend to overcomplicate math. We 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 rest on. Equi- in fact, hold on. I've got, to test, I've got to test the quote right here. It says, today's scientists have substituted mathematics for experiments, and they wander off through equation after equation and eventually build a structure which has no relation to reality. And so what he's saying there is that we can understand so much through the simple principles of three, six, and nine, just through understanding number philosophy very simply, and yet we're kind of convoluting it and making mathematics this um, – we're overthinking it. You know, We're making it too difficult.
0: Uh, We talk uh, on this program, we talk a lot about alternative energy. And uh, right now, of course, there's a lot of talk about zero-point energy. And the number that comes up in in conjunction or connection with zero-point has to do with 528 hertz. Now, I'm not a a scientist, don't understand a lot of this, but uh, what uh, what do you gather might be the connection between zero-point energy and 528 hertz? Is that anything there jump out at you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I can't really speak too much on zero-point energy because I just don't know enough about it. And I think that there's a lot of conjecture with it, you know, Um, a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people have theories on things, but can't really prove a lot of it. So we can look at the number 528, though, and the importance of the number 528 in relationship to the Hertz. When we look at the um, English mile, of course, this is just a multiple of 10. So 5280 is the number of feet of an English mile. Now, where does that come from? Well, there's a bunch of different places that we can actually find it. In fact, I'm going to interview a guy uh, tomorrow on my show um, that found this in the Great Pyramid of Giza in one of the ways. So, But we can actually find this embedded in the metrology of the Earth. Um, the equatorial circumference of the Earth we can actually find is related to the English mile. So we take 360 degrees of a circle. We multiply it by the number of days in the solar year. We multiply that by a thousand and divide by five thousand two hundred eighty, and we get roughly you know, twenty four thousand nine hundred twenty. So the equatorial circumference of the Earth is directly related to the English, English, well, foot and mile, five thousand two hundred eighty. Where do we get five twenty eight? Well, there's how many degrees in Scottish Rite Freemasonic Ascension? Thirty two and thirty three, right? Correct. So adding one through thirty two, so one plus two plus three plus four, etc., to thirty two gives you the number five twenty eight. So we see that the number 32 is directly related to the number 528. Why else is this important? Because the pace, the human pace, is actually 5.28 feet. Wow. So so we can see that the Scottish Rite, that they were, you know, the heralding this number 32, which of course transcends Freemasonry. We can see that Jesus Christ lived to 33 years, his name actually adds up to 32, etc. You know, we can see that once again, this is something that's inherent in the mathematics. So the, the, the English mile and the human pace and then the number of hertz of, you know, supposedly or whatever of zero point energy is all related to this one number 32, which is of course in English gamatria is English, Christ, religion, you know, gamatria, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We could go on to the number 32, so.
0: Marty, this is fascinating. I I have to have you back on to to discuss further. Now, I've I've got about a minute and a half here. In that 90 seconds, can you just give me an understanding of the significance of one's life number? I mean, do you subscribe to that? If you add up, you know, the letters, the numbers relating to the letters in your name and so forth, you get a number.
2: Is, is Is that important? Yes, but, you know, like I do name breakdowns on my, on my site. So, um, where I'll actually look at somebody's name and then I'll do the, you know, the mathematical encoding with it and then I'll explain what those numbers mean, at least how I've come to understand those numbers. So, if once again, if somebody's name added to 32, I would just kind of, you know, expound on the number 32 and all the things we just talked about. The only, but when you look at the number and how it relates to your own life, the only person that can actually do any sort of investigation in that is you because you lived your life, you walked in your shoes, so you know you know, synchronistically or whatever, or psychologically how that, how a particular number might reflect, you know, how you might have a relationship to it. For instance, there was this guy try to make this quick. Um, he contacted me and he said, Hey man, I've always been, you know, just drawn to the number 23 my entire life. It was just 23, 23. I just saw 23 everywhere. And his name was Michael and Michael adds up to 23. Now, if somebody went and told him that it was like, you know, the, He's the only person that's going to be able to make those correlations, if you know what I'm saying. So I I won't do a numerological reading on anybody else, but I will talk about what those numbers mean, so that can help you in your own investigation. And and Marty, what's your life number? (laughs) Well... I have a couple different names, so ah, okay. um, I, it's actually something I go over in the book where I actually, because I have two pseudonyms that I use, and then, my, you know, of course, my Christian name or Catholic name or whatever the name that my parents gave me, I guess. So I actually look at the mathematics of all of those numbers and see how that relates. And it was when I first did it, because I'd given myself two pseudonyms, I didn't know any of this stuff. And then I went back and I looked at it, and it was like, wow, a lot of amazing correlations. So, Marty, this has been uh, fascinating. I hope you'll come back again and share some more time with us.
0: Uh, sure, I'd be happy to. Martyleads33.com. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a moment or two, and I'll tease an upcoming episode. It's that time of the week to welcome back Colleen Forgus, our nutritional consultant and the manager of our Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary. Colleen, welcome back. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. Do we have anything at the Full Script Dispensary to help people maintain regularity? yes we do and this is one of the best things that we can do for our health to make sure that we're using the restroom daily so there's a product called colon rx by designs for health this product can be used as a mild laxative anytime someone is having a bout of constipation and it's also something that can be used on a daily basis kind of like a maintenance to help ensure that you're very regular and are moving your bowels every day that's important all right, so to stay regular, get Colon Rx from the Strange Planet full script dispensary. Go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the full script button. And don't forget, subscribers receive a 10% discount on all products and free delivery on all orders over $50. Talk again next week, Colleen. I will look forward to it, Richard. Thank you. Bye-bye. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your health care provider. Coming up next time, a pain management specialist discusses his work with victims of mind control and electronic harassment.
1: If you look at the history of MKUltra and MK Search and all the other mind-control-based experimentation done by the CIA, most of these victims were picked out of self-discredited communities or what we call social outliers. They were people with a history of you know, mild drug abuse, men using prostitutes, and mentally ill, and they even experimented on disabled children at Willowbrook School.
0: Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now.